The owner of the Civic Opera House building is hit with a $195 million foreclosure suit. It's the biggest case of downtown office distress in years. And it's time for the Reporters Roundtable. This week, Crane's healthcare reporter Stephanie Goldberg talks about Walgreens doubling down on healthcare and a split up at a big health system. And residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin talks about the regulation of short-term rentals in nearby vacation communities and a high-profile home going on the market in Lake Geneva. I'm Amy Guth. And this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, October 25th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. All right, for this week's Reporters Roundtable, I'm joined by Crane's healthcare reporter, Stephanie Goldberg, and residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about all the things this week. So Dennis, I want to talk with you about short-term rentals and, of course, a high-profile home that's going on the market. And Stephanie, let's start with uh, Amita Healthcare, and uh, it looks like they are splitting up. What's happening there? Yeah, this was big news. So Amita Health is the largest health system in the Chicago area by hospital count. They've got 19 hospitals, so bigger than Northwestern, bigger than Advocate Aurora Health. And they recently announced that they are going to be going in two different directions. So the background here is that in 2015, Two national chains, Ascension and Advent Health, formed a joint venture that they named Amita. This is the Lyle-based healthcare system that we're talking about. And it functioned pretty well, you know, from the outside looking in. And they now have decided that they're going to be divvying up those assets. So they've got the Ascension Hospitals, which include Presence, the 2018 acquisition, 10 hospital Catholic chain. And then on the other side of it, you've got uh, the Advent Health side. So that is the news. And what prompted that? I feel like it's the opposite of what we've been hearing. There's, There's been so much consolidation and so much pressure to consolidate doesn't seem like what we've been hearing for quite a while. Yes and no. The story is still unfolding. So I'll tell you what I know so far, although I think there's probably a lot more under the surface here that we're going to need to get into. But Ascension is obviously a very large chain. Advent Health is obviously a very large chain. And so I think as those two separate organizations continue to grow, they are finding that maybe this joint venture wasn't the best fit for them moving forward. And so sort of taking their hospitals and running into the different directions that they were both heading in nationwide. So essentially, you know, they they say that there will be no disruption to patient care. That's probably true. You know, these hospitals function differently. They sort of had different regional heads over them. They all have individual hospital presidents. The group has already named the two CEOs that will be leading the individual Chicago, you know, area organizations under both of these large national chains. But we really don't have much information beyond that right now. Well, we'll have to circle back on that because I think that'll be really interesting. And just, again, with so much consolidation going on, someone kind of doing the opposite. So, Dennis, let's go to you and talk about short-term vacation rentals because you and I have talked about that before. It was just kind of pending thing, pending thing. And now what's the latest? 
Well, uh, in New Buffalo, there was a delay, another delay. They've had a moratorium on new permits for short-term rentals. People are still able to use the short-term rentals that exist in New Buffalo, but they have not been granting new permits while they've been sorting these issues out since May 2020, and it's been extended a few times. Monday of this week, I expected to attend virtually a meeting in New Buffalo where they were going to discuss these ordinances we've talked about. Are we in New Buffalo going to stop issuing any new permits for short-term rentals in, in areas zoned residential and only allow them in commercial, or what are we going to do? And they pushed it back. They actually pushed it back to Thanksgiving week, which is a big delay, nearly a month, because this has been such a thorny issue and there have been so many calls for get us more data, help us understand that now they're not going to decide until then. But in the meantime, because of that meeting, I was already working on looking at what's going on in other communities. And one of the things I learned is that in Lake Geneva, they're still sort of up in the air over licensing fees. Back when the state of Wisconsin first passed legislation saying that municipalities cannot ban short-term rentals like Airbnb or VRBO, Lake Geneva said, okay, if we can't ban them, we will license them at a cost of $2,000 a year. We will also require every short-term rental owner to have a lockbox on the door that city staff can use if they need to get in and also would allow an inspection without any warrant or any prior notice. There was a lawsuit because that felt like it was a violation of people's Fourth Amendment rights protection from search and seizure. And the fee seemed like it was far too high. According to a, a Wisconsin legal institute, they sued. The, the two provisions are gone. Fees were dropped to 750 a year. But according to the attorneys for people who are suing to have this dropped, that's about 20 times what any other municipality in Wisconsin charges. $750. And so the uh, Lake Geneva officials say, well, that's what it costs us to administer this program, to staff it, et cetera. But other communities around the state are charging $100, $200, $300 compared to the um, $750. And in one community I spoke to, it's $50. Bucks. So that case won't be decided till next year. But now I've got that to follow as well as New Buffalo. If someone, say, has a home that they use for short-term rentals in, say, New Buffalo, once that meeting happens around Thanksgiving, how quickly could that go into effect if, in fact, they do decide to block or put changes to short-term rentals? Well, as of now, most of the plans have been to allow all permits that exist to continue to exist. The question is just whether you have been waiting to get a new permit. And we really don't know because we don't know what they're going to decide then. We don't know whether the options are going to change between now and then. We do know that almost every plan allows for the short-term rentals that are in commercial zoning to stay and probably for there to be more in those zones. But really, everything is up in the air. So Stephanie, let's go back to you and talk about Walgreens. We've talked about many different parts of Walgreens over the months, but what's the latest going on with Walgreens getting a little bit deeper into healthcare? They had an investor conference recently. During that conference, Roz Brewer, Walgreens CEO, I was going to say new CEO, I guess she's still new. She took the helm in March. Newish. Newish, yeah. She unveiled this new transformation that Walgreens is going to be going through to create, quote, the pharmacy of the future. 
and what that looks like. In unveiling that plan, they sort of went through some, you know, very health-focused acquisitions that the company has been making, a, c- a couple of which we've talked about on here, Village MD, the primary care provider based in Chicago. They sort of like upped their commitment there. They're going to be putting medical clinics in a thousand Walgreens stores by 2027. That's the new goal. An investment in care centric, supposed to acute and home care provider. So another really fast growing industry. And then Shields Health Solutions, another one that I think we've talked about recently, which is a specialty pharmacy operator. And so those three businesses and then some other things they're looking to get into are going to be part of this new healthcare segment. And they anticipate this can be a really fast-growing area for them, which would be, you know, exactly the dose of growth that they need with with sluggish retail sales and and some of the pricing pressure on pharmacies right now. And then, what does that do for competition? How does that position them against, say, CVS? Yeah, this is an interesting one because it, it, they're not the only ones doing this, right? Delving deeper into healthcare, you've got sort of added pressure in the sense that CVS Health, which obviously also owns Aetna, one of the largest national health insurers in the U.S., they're also launching these health hubs that expanded a range of healthcare services, behavioral health, some primary care services, although still largely in the urgent immediate care space. You've got Walmart rolling out health centers in addition to a partnership with another Chicago-based primary care provider, Oak Street Health, at a couple select locations. And so Walgreens is not you know, alone in their wish to become you know, a healthcare company here. So it's not necessarily a unique strategy. They're doing it a little bit differently than some of their rivals, but Some of the industry observers I talked to were skeptical that it was going to result in the jolt of growth that they're predicting. So that remains to be seen. I I think that is interesting. I mean, you and I kind of casually were talking about maybe a week or two ago about just like, like that move into healthcare that even Best Buy is kind of making moves. Initially, when I saw that, I thought, what in the world does Best Buy have anything to do with healthcare? But in fact, their argument is who better than us? You know, we know how to outfit your home with electronic devices and wearables are a thing. Who better than us? And I just think it's really interesting. It seems like there's so much appetite for getting into the healthcare game from a lot of different sectors. Well, it's fast growing. Think about what we spend on healthcare, you know, as a nation. Like it makes sense. This isn't an area where you can turn a profit. One of the Northwestern uh, professor that I spoke to for this Pete's sort of made the same joke that you and I made when we were talking about Best Buy, which is, you know, a lot of big companies or companies in other sectors say, you know, hold, hold on, like we, we can fix healthcare, like give us a shot. And, and that was a joke, obviously, that we heard a lot, like back when the Affordable Care Act was coming to fruition. And I mean, I don't know, maybe one of them will. So this, maybe this is it. Another story we'll have to keep touching base on. Dennis, let's go back to you. So you mentioned Lake Geneva, and you have news about a rather high-profile home that's going on the market there. Tell me about this. You know, there couldn't be a higher-profile property in Lake Geneva. Richard Driehaus, who died in March, had a very elaborate estate on the lakefront in Lake Geneva, 39 acres, 12-bedroom house. And the people managing his affairs since his death put it on the market on Friday. They put it on the market at $39.25 million. Oh, that's it? Uh, That's it, yeah. Oh, only a million an acre? That's fine. Only a million an acre. (laughs) It's an amazing place. I asked to go in, but again, the people managing the affairs said no. So all I've had is photos. It has a lot of history. The mansion was built in 1907. It's been owned by um, leaders of Harris Bank. Yellow Cab, Morton Salt, and Driehaus, the Yellow Cab to Morton Salt 
families um, had it for about 80 years. Driehaus bought it in 1998. And there's an old story from the time that says he wanted to host a party on New Year's Eve 1999. And he knew he was going to have to rehab the house. It was fading at the time he bought it. So he launched rehab essentially the day he bought the house so that it would be ready for his big party on New Year's Eve. And as a lot of people know, he went on to host giant parties there year after year after year. He famously arrived at one that had a circus theme. He was dressed as a ringmaster and he arrived on the top of an elephant. There have been James Bond themes and others at his parties, fireworks. But uh, Driehaus is also well known for his preservation efforts. His offices on Erie Street are in one old mansion. His museum across Erie Street is in another. He funds uh, preservation awards both for the state of Illinois and nationally. And what people told me is that he really did the rehab of this mansion on his Lake Geneva property. 36 acres, $39 million dollars. Um, there's a children's village. There's a like a little thatched roof cottage, an ice cream shop, and other buildings built to children's scale. There's a pool. There's a two-bedroom guest house. There are giant gates. There are gardens, some of which are remnants of what Frederick Law Olmsted designed. Olmsted designed the World's Columbian Exposition here in Chicago and, and uh, Central Park in New York. There really isn't anything like this. And there isn't anything like this price. $39 million is well above the next highest price, which is actually the price tag for the house right next door, almost $21 million. We covered that one earlier this year. It's still for sale. But the highest price anyone has paid in Lake Geneva for a home is a story I covered back in 2017 about a woman from California who has Chicago roots who paid about $13.5 million to buy most of the parts of a big mansion in Lake Geneva that had been divided into condos. She bought all but one of those condos. Still to this date, hasn't bought that last one. So you're looking at a price that is more than head and shoulders above the rest of the market, but the property itself is very different from the rest of the market. It's got history. It's got Driehaus's rehab touch. It's got an enormous amount of property. It, so we're going to see what happens. I cannot wait to see who buys that house. I was just going to say, you know what I want? I want like a coffee table book about this property. Yeah. Oh, I think there is one, Stephanie. I think. Oh my God, stop it. Um, That's awesome. I, I think there might be. There There are a couple of books about Driehaus's various projects, and I think this might be in one of them. What a fascinating job to be that person that that like arranges all those needs, wants, and whims of like, I listen, I need to come in on on an elephant. So I need to get an elephant here in Lake Geneva. Like I, I wouldn't even know who to begin to call for that. But yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Dennis is like, I have a number I'll send you. Yeah, I have a person. I know somebody. No, there, there are articles about the party planners who were working for him. Cranes had one. Some other publications wrote about people who got the plum job of arranging these giant parties for him. Fascinating. There, there's no boring day at the office if that's what you do. Not if you're lining up elephants for Amanda Ride. Can you imagine? And all the other circus-themed things that happened at that party. Right, because it doesn't stop at elephants. Yeah. As well as rehabbing the house. I mean, imagine being the person who is told, here's a person who, a, a patron who cares so much about preservation and clearly has a lot of assets to do it with. So if you want to, if you're a, a restoration architect, a trades, any of those people who might be involved, 
you have to be thinking, oh, this is the greatest job because we get to do this to the nth degree. Also, how fun to build a children's village with thatched roofs. And like, what is, okay, like what an interesting project to do. Yeah. I had a nickel for every time I heard about a project like that. <laughs> you and I have such very different beats. I know. I love, I love talking to you, Dennis, because your beat is just so cool and so much more fun than mine. <laughs> I'm incredibly lucky to have such a fun beat. It's so, it's very true. Indeed. Well, all right. So now is the, the moment of the episode where we move to three things not on your beat that, that caught your attention over the last week or so. Uh, who wants to start? I can start if you want, if you need to think. I have one in mind. I, I can do that one. Go for it. There's a story in Thursday's Washington Post that is both beautiful and heartbreaking. It's a photo story. I don't know if you two saw it. Um, there are glaciers in Austria where a scientist has found normally she would find small sort of uh, streams and things cutting underneath them. But because of global warming, she's found these giant caves. There's there's some mention she walked for, uh, I don't know, a quarter of a mile. I can't remember what it was, standing up. And that would never have been possible before. And so she has she and others have explored these caves that are developing there. So the, the glacier is above you and you're walking under this glacier. And it's just the pictures are just so beautiful. But it's so heartbreaking because this is happening because of global warming. And the idea is these are pretty low lying glaciers. And so they can use what happens here to figure out what's going to go on and how it can be prevented with the higher lying glaciers. And it was, it's just like both sides of you are operating at once. Oh my gosh, look at these incredible pictures. But also, oh no, these incredible pictures. Yeah. It really illustrates global warming's effects in such an, such a, just astonishing way. I did see that by the way, Dennis. And I, I remember having the same thought. I was like, pretty picture. And then I was like, oh God, that's what this means. So speaking of fun beats, our colleague, Ali Maradi wrote a story recently about what holiday parties will look like in year two of the pandemic. I thought this was such a smart take on a trend that impacts not just businesses and, and company morale, frankly, but, but also like the hospitality industry as a whole, which has just been rocked during the pandemic. And Allie sort of took a look at what restaurants are hoping, you know, happens. Are, are people going to be booking these venues to come and have holiday parties? Do people feel uh, workers? Do they feel comfortable going to these these types of events and and whatnot? And, and so I would recommend uh, a read if you've not already. Yeah, there were so many considerations of, you know, part of it is some companies threw little parties in the summer and people would even wait to day of to make a decision whether or not they were going. And so there was all these questions like, are we going to shell out all this money if people are going to be iffy about going? Should we maybe just send gifts to people at home instead? And some companies were even coming up with kind of virtual options. Like if you don't go, we're going to give you a little money to order something so you have a nice meal along with us or something like that. I think that's really interesting. To that, one of the things Ali and I talked about is uh, a consultancy, Third Horizon Strategies. This is not a holiday party, but sort of related. You'll, you'll get it in a sec. They canceled their company retreat in August um, and instead sent everybody an Oculus headset <laughs> and held the retreat in virtual reality. And the photos of this are just so cool. They were posting a couple of pictures of it on Twitter. Like you got to have a little avatar and you were sitting at this table. And I just thought like the things people are coming up with right now are just so cool and creative. I mean, Burning Man did that. Burning Man had like a virtual universe for there and you went into it as your avatar and you could look around the desert and see which stage do I want to walk up to. It was very interesting. It was probably not quite as costumey as Burning Man usually is, but it but was interesting. But he in on an elephant. 
That's right. Well, I didn't. I didn't have the Driehaus number. Does it even count if you didn't ride it on an elephant? Is it even real? Did Burning Man even happen if there's not an elephant? Indeed. That's kind of related to one that's on my list, and that is about Facebook building the metaverse. They they're hiring ten thousand people in the EU. Um, not only they're changing their name. Uh, maybe we'll hear about that in the next week or so, but they're hiring 10,000 people to help build this metaverse, which is exactly that. Like you would have an avatar, you could have meetings in person, and then you could get up and go have a meeting with someone else on the other side of the world. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I was thinking, did either of you read Ready Player One? Yeah. Or see the movie, I guess. I don't know if the movie is is different, but um, yeah, it's like you kind of like live in this alternate universe and then you can just go back to your normal. I don't know. We, it's too, I don't know. Pass. <laughs> Early internet had, you know, not early internet, but like, you know, what was it? Late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, it was early two thousands. Like the second life thing. Everybody was so bananas and people had like a different spouse in second life and all those kind of things. I mean, I, I don't know who knows how that's going to end up looking, but I think that's pretty interesting. Just changes coming from Facebook. Do you have any guesses what the new name is going to be? I have no idea. They said they want it to reflect the Facebook, the, the move to the metaverse. <laughs> I think they ought to just call it Zuckerberg. <laughs> I think they ought to just name it after him. Well, we'll see. I'm sure he's taking feedback. You could just text him or something. Well, you should Facebook him is what you should do. You should come Facebook on. him and let him Yeah. Work. Come on, Amy. <laughs> of course. What am I thinking? <laughs> Another one on my list is um, The Verge was reporting that Twitter acquired Sphere, which is like a group messaging app. I'm curious to see what they'll do in terms of like DMs and group messaging or following topics, things like that. And uh, there was a piece in Protocol that Media Gazer had linked to about how Twitter publicly shared the, these research findings that show that the platform's algorithms were amplifying tweets from right-leaning politicians more than left-leaning politicians. And the um, what I thought was interesting was the head of their machine learning and ethics and transparency group was saying, he said, his quote was something like, we can see that it is happening. We are not entirely sure why it is happening. So it was kind of a like we we see we understand we don't know why we we see that it is we acknowledge that it is but we don't understand why. That's fascinating to me. So I, I think that'll be an interesting one to follow just in the next few weeks. It is. What else is on your list? WNBA. Oh yeah, the, sky, the championship. You both know I'm not much of a sports fan, but I am sort of a fan of sports fandom and how it plays out in Chicago. How can you not be in this sports city? And as they were building up to that final win, it was fascinating to watch people jumping on the bandwagon. It was also fascinating to watch people saying, hey, how come this, this women's sport is not getting the coverage that men's sports get? Uh, you know, they, they played a few blocks from Soldier Field. The day the Bears lose, the, the sky win, they're a few blocks apart and more media is at Soldier Field than at um, the Wintrust Arena. And it was just fascinating to see. And then I watched it play out. You know, our newsroom looks right over Millennium Park. And so the rally was going to happen there. And I watched the buses come up Michigan Avenue to almost empty streets. I mean, I'm sorry. I was really sorry to see that. I thought more people would come out. I said to Greg Hines, who was the other reporter in the newsroom that day, this is such a great bandwagon for people to jump on for honest and and um self-congratulatory reasons, whichever one you want. And people just, people did, the, the crowd size was, I thought, remarkably small. Um, then they had the rally at the Pritzker Pavilion and everybody was crowded onto the lawn. But having watched those huge crowds that line Michigan Avenue or Wacker when the Blackhawks had theirs right at Michigan and Wacker, 
to see so few was... Well, well, I sound incredibly naive if I ask if we think the pandemic played a role in that. Huh. I Did it? Do you think it did, Stephanie? I don't know. I, I'd like I'd like to think so, but I mean I guess I guess we've seen people gather for other things though. So maybe some probably not. I don't know. What were marathon crowds like the week before? Oh yeah, that's a good question. I wasn't in town that weekend. What were marathon crowds like? I wasn't here either. But I will say I passed the Bears game on my bike Sunday and I think I saw more people flooding into Soldier Field. I was going the opposite direction from all of them. So there there's our answer. <laughs> I would say my Facebook feed probably made up for it. I saw so many people getting so excited and posting huge graphics and were so delighted and taking selfies and doing stuff. So hopefully, there, I, I know some people were very, very excited about it. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe it's just the vantage point I had from the corner of our newsroom, but it looked it looked like a very thin crowd to me. You like to think, well, it's 2021. We're beyond that. Mm, I'm sure. It, I mean, if it was a men's team, I'm sure it would have been a different situation. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And and I was just imagining what it was like to be members of the Sky sure. riding in those open top buses and seeing that there was a lot of space available on the sidewalk. You know, they're waving, they're happy, and they're being welcomed. And, and Chance the Rapper is up on stage with them and the mayor and everybody and the governor. But even so, they I can't imagine they weren't riding down Michigan Avenue saying, where is everybody? Yeah, wait, the Blackhawks had way more people. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, that, that actually does hurt my heart. As a fellow non-sports fan, I still feel very sad about this. I've seen a t-shirt floating around that says something like, go sports ball, score the points. I'm just going to get that shirt for both of you. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the one bringing up a sports story. And right? Dennis and I are a bad, a bad pair for this, for this one. <laughs> I have uh, my, one of the other things I saw this week, there's just like no good segue. I, I've just, I'll just launch straight into it. But uh, there was a New York Times Magazine story uh, the other day about the endangered park bench. Anybody see this? No. Oh, no. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. So I, the, the reason that this kind of piqued my interest is I, I love sitting on a bench. Like, I don't care where it is. I, I mean, preferably by the, the lake, I guess. But I just I love just like sitting and people watching or reading. It's like my happy place. And so I saw this story and I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, it talked about like this concept that I wanted to bring up on here because Dennis, I figured you'd probably be familiar with it, of hostile architecture. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like the idea of like park benches are now made to be so uncomfortable to deter people from from sitting on them, essentially, or or you know, people who are housing insecure from, from camping out. So yeah, it kind of bummed me out. Um, just talking about disappearing park benches and sort of the ways in which people are being discouraged from just sitting. See, I learned something every time. I, every time I talk to the two of you, I learned something. Today I've learned hostile architecture. That was new to me too. I knew, I knew Dennis would know it. It was new to me though. You can see it. I think I, I'm picturing the river walk, but there are some benches. Um, you can see, you know, it'll like a long, um, piece of concrete, rectangle of concrete, and then it will have interspersed, there will be sort of metal ribs that look like they're forming little arm chairs, uh, arms for a chair, but really what it is doing is making it uncomfortable for you to lie down there and sleep. I see. That's really sad. That is sad. Hmm. Although I have to say, Stephanie, thank you for mentioning sitting on benches and people watching. My late mother was, uh, she, I can't pronounce it the way she could, and it would sound silly, but she was very fond of people watching on park benches on Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia, and you reminded me of her. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm glad. I love it. What a happy memory. Um, I too have no segue for my third, but I'm just going to go for it. 
Next time we should try harder. (laughs) (laughs) There's no segue for this. WNBA. I read the story about park benches. (laughs) Wouldn't have worried. Just wouldn't have worried. (laughs) Right. Um, no, uh, our colleague Albie Galoon sent this story to me because he knows I appreciate absolutely ridiculous stories. Um, and so there is a company, uh, Partners Group Holding, and they have decided that saying the word deal will get you fined. They have banned the word deal in their office. Uh, David Layton is the CEO. That's a, It's a Swiss firm. And he said he wants people to think less transactionally about their work, I guess more relationship building, but he's like, deal is just transactional. So if it's a junior employee, they're fined a hundred dollars. If it's a more senior employee, they're, they're fined a thousand dollars and they give that money to charity. Um, but right away there was a senior executive who gave a speech and three times said the word deal and he was fined. So there's a picture of him like holding up $3,000 that he's donating to charity. And I, I mean, I do think language is so important and I think both of you know, I'm a little bit obsessed with semantics and the words we use and why, but I thought banning, de- banning the word deal, especially if you're in like a deal making sector seems, I don't know what you'd say instead. We, I love that you get fined for each reference in the same speech. It's like a swear jar, but saying the word deal is what it is. Can the next one be thought leader or thought leadership? Oh, you want to get into all the words. Calendar as a verb can go. I don't hear that one that often. Oh, God. And in real estate listings, stunning. <laughs> I got to say, stunning is actually a decent word, but real estate agents, if you're listening, not every house is stunning. Yeah. There are so many listings I read in the course of a week that say this stunning bungalow, this stunning mansion, this stunning. And I look at them hoping to be stunned. I'm stunned. Generally, I'm not. I also think keynote is overused. Like the keynote is the speech that sets the tone for this event or this conference. And now it's like, here's our list of keynotes for this event. And it's 15 people. I'm like, no, 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 that's just one. That's how we make people feel special. (laughs) Yes, we're all giving keynotes. Yeah, Yeah, that's like giving everybody a trophy. Everybody gets a soccer trophy. Oh, business speak. (laughs) How I love thee. I have so much to say on that topic. I could rant for hours. I'm just like, do I open? Nope, nope, nope. Put it away. Let it be. Let it be. I feel like we should write a drinking game rules for this. There is like a um, business bingo card that people can download. I've seen this on the internet, but it's like business buzzword. So you take it to meetings. I love that all the great ideas I've had in the last hour, both they all exist already. We could make a drinking game just for this podcast. That could be a thing that happens. I mean, I think listeners would really appreciate that. They would totally appreciate that. Who drinks, the listeners or us? The listeners drink. Well, whatever is handy. Get get to work, listeners. Amy Amy needs a drinking game. <laughs> yeah, I need a drinking game. Let's do this. The word I probably said, like the center gimme, right? Instead of bingo is probably like, Hidden narrative. That's a thing I probably say all the time. What's missing from the narrative? I have never heard you say this. I'm I'm obsessed with hidden narratives. So anyway, now that we've gone totally off the rails, I'm gonna let you both run. Thank you both for being with us. And uh, we will talk to, we will talk again soon. It was iconic. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> it was stunning and iconic. <laughs> <laughs> you are so good, I swear. <laughs> Coming up, the CTA is set to slash fares in a bid to boost ridership. We'll talk about that and more right after this. 
Is your student taking the SAT, ACT, or a high school admissions test this year? Academic Approach wants to help them get prepared. Academic Approach's time-tested tutoring programs ensure students grow their academic skills, improving their performance on standardized tests. The work together begins with a consultation with an Academic Approach director who will meet with you and your student to discuss their unique needs. Then Academic Approach creates an effective, fully customized study plan that targets their goals and matches them with a tutor who will be by their side, guiding them through instruction and practice throughout their tutoring journey. Get in touch today to learn how Academic Approach can help your student transform into a confident, successful test taker. Learn more at academicapproach.com slash daily gist. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. The owner of the Civic Opera House building is set to turn over operations to a real estate services firm as it faces a $195 million foreclosure suit on the property. A Cook County Circuit Court judge is expected to appoint Transwestern as the receiver for the 915,000-square-foot building at 20 North Wacker. That according to Cook County Records and a statement from the building's owner, a venture led by 601W and Berkeley Properties. And the move comes more than two months after lender Wells Fargo filed the foreclosure complaint against the venture, alleging the owners defaulted on a $164 million loan tied to the property by failing to make monthly loan payments since May. The complaint is one of the highest-profile foreclosure lawsuits involving a downtown property since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has impacted the office market as companies rethink their workspace needs. After local fundraising efforts for the Obama Foundation's $1.6 billion fundraising goal, several have chipped in to raise, so far, over $300 million. A.D. Quigg has the story. Foundation is aiming to raise $1.6 billion to help fund construction and first-year operating costs of the $800 million center, plus money to keep the foundation going and to seed its endowment. Chicago businesses have helped raise more than $300 million the foundation announced today, including from Prudential Financial, McDonald's, and Walgreens, who each donated more than $3 million, BMO Financial Group, GCM Grosvenor, Google.org, Motorola, Northern Trust, and the Polk Brothers Foundation all gave more than a million. Several donors are now in the foundation's $10 million-plus tier. That includes the Alphawood Foundation, Boeing, Exelon, the MacArthur Foundation, Microsoft, and Prudential. Foundation President Valerie Jarrett had reached out to corporate Chicago for endorsements and money, saying donors would be supporting lifting up Chicago's South Side. In a statement, she said the foundation's, quote, well on its way. With winter fast approaching and heating costs set to increase, NICOR Gas has donated $5 million to the Salvation Army for grants to households behind on their bills. Cranes reporter Steve Daniels has more. With the highest heating bills in well over a decade looming as the the winter approaches, NICOR, which is the largest natural gas utility in the state, has donated $5 million of shareholder money, not ratepayer money, which is unusual in Illinois because utilities generally uh, recover their donations from ratepayers, to uh, the Salvation Army for distribution to households that are behind on their gas bills. And this comes as... 10% 10% of, of the households in NICOR's suburban service territory are more than 30 days behind on their, on their heating bills with an average uh, arrearage of $200 per household. This new program will allow households to put 
up to $250 of this money towards their past due gas bills. And it's available for households at 400% of the federal poverty level. So a pretty broad grouping of uh, homeowners and renters would be eligible for this. This comes as not just NICOR, but other utilities are, are seeing substantial numbers of people behind on their bills. And it also comes as we're facing a very, very high-priced home heat budget situation for this coming winter. Heating bills for the average household will, will be hundreds more over the five-month season uh, than they were last year. With CTA rider levels still low due to the pandemic, the transit agency aims to cut prices of passes and to make transfers free. CTA ridership has been slowly recovering, but still is running only at about half of what it was pre-pandemic. And so, under the proposed 2022 budget, only the basic single fare ride would remain as is, and just about everything else would change. Specifically, riders no longer would have to pay a 25-cent surcharge when they transfer. Instead, each fare would cover two free transfers within two hours to another bus or train. And the price of one-day passes would be cut in half to $5. Three-day passes would go from $20 to $15. And a seven-day pass would cost just 20 bucks, down from the current 28 All of those fares have been discounted in recent months, but the CTA under the proposed budget would also cut the price of its monthly pass from $105 to $75, making it the lowest it's been for at least a decade. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to both of my guests, Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin and healthcare reporter Stephanie Goldberg. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. You can also find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time. Hey, I'm A.D. Quigg, government and politics reporter for Crane's Chicago Business. I'm hosting a new podcast, A.D. Q&A, where I will sit down with politicians, policy wonks, and other newsmakers to talk power and politics in Chicago and beyond. Our first episode is with Congresswoman Robin Kelly, the head of the Democratic Party of Illinois. She talks about taking over the party post from former House Speaker Mike Madigan, her threat list for the 2022 elections, and much more. You can find it at chicagobusiness.com by clicking on podcasts in the top right corner. Hope you listen.